This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Let me remind you that the purpose of Solid Foundation Ministries is to strengthen our biblical foundations. I try to deal with those issues that face us today. I do this because I believe that the only way we can have God's blessings is if we follow what He has taught us in His Word. This means all of them, we can't pick and choose which ones we want to follow. Listen to what we learn from the Great Commission, as found in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is our marching orders, and it is very clear in its instructions for us. First, we are to get the message out to the world. This is more than just telling them that Christ died for our sins, was bud, and rose again the third day. Like Paul, when he spoke to the men of Athens, we must teach them who God is, and what he expects of us. Our second responsibility is to get them into a good Bible preaching church where they can grow spiritually. This is done through baptism. Finally, we are to feed them with the whole word of God so they can be good servants. We can't leave things out. It is only when we do these things that we have his promise to be with us always, even unto the end of the world. Today, I want to look at the global rebellion against God's law. This is the result of removing God and his word from our schools and, as much as is possible, from the public square. This is most evident when we look at the attitude of many of our political leaders, especially those on the left. We see a real hatred for God and the things spelled out in his word. They are for homosexuality, the right to choose what sex they are, and same-sex marriage. They are against the traditional family, parental authority, and anything else that is for the traditional family. Christianity is attacked as if it were a curse on society. Several of the top Democrat leaders have actually said that they think Bible-believing Christians are worse than Hamas. They call us domestic terrorists. Hamas is a fundamentalist Islamic group, and Islam is spread by the sword. Remember, Hamas started the present war, not Israel. Hamas killed some 1,200 innocent people in the name of their God. They fully justify beheading infants and raping and killing elderly women. On the other hand, Bible-believing Christians try to reason with people rather than force them because they know you can force someone to say they believe, but you can't force them to believe. How can anyone make the comparison between the two? It is only because Hamas is not interfering with their debauchery. Christians offend them and make them feel guilty because of their sin. Just wait, it's coming here if we don't do something about it before it is too late. When Islam comes here, the gay crowd that is supporting them will be brutally killed. We don't often think of Psalms as a prophetic book, but it certainly does contain a lot of prophecy. I want to us to look at a prophecy as found in Psalm chapter 2 verse 1 through 9 because it describes the age in which we live very well. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. 
I will declare the decree, The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Many of the prophecies in the Psalms were fulfilled at Christ's first coming. There are still many which point to his second coming. The events described in this psalm describe what we see throughout the world today. The heathen kings and their people are uniting in rebellion against Jehovah God and his anointed. When the Bible talks about the heathen, it is referring to those who reject the God of the Bible. This includes atheists, pagan religions, and false Christians. The heathen are not satisfied with just ignoring God, they rage against him. This means they violently oppose God and all who would speak or even think of him. The bands and cords they are trying to cast away are God's holy laws. They desire to live as they please without any limitations on their sinful lifestyles and God's laws get in their way. They don't rage because they don't know any better. They do know what they are doing is wrong and deserves judgment. For example, how often do we see women with skirts that are too short tugging on them to pull them down a bit. They know they are too short. Listen to what Paul told the Romans about this in Romans 1 verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They think that if they can get enough others to follow their wicked example, they will escape the judgment of God. I recommend you read the whole chapter to get the full context, especially from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. The heathen have been raging against God since man's fall and since Cain, the first son of Adam, killed his brother, Abel. It got so bad in Noah's day that God had to destroy everyone except Noah's family and start over. Even this was not enough to make people think, the rage has grown in intensity in these last days and will culminate in Armageddon, where I assure you, God will win the war. Rage against God's holy laws is the chief characteristic of the Western pop culture which, because of American influence, has spread throughout the earth. The rage is expressed continually through movies, television, literature, the news media, the fields of education, fashion, and art. The rebellion is also seen in the false religions, communism, evolution, militant atheism, and may other isms. The American atheists paid for billboard ads in September 2012 calling the God of the Bible sadistic and Jesus a useless savior. The homosexual rights movement tries to tell us that we are not the gender we were born to be. Some even say there are as many as 100 different genders. The gospel has been preached in every nation, and at least portions of the Bible have been translated into most languages. In spite of this, the vast majority of the people have turned their backs to God's gracious offer of salvation through His Son. Most people are ignorant of what the Bible teaches and the proofs that support the truths found in Scripture. We must understand that this ignorance is not because they cannot, but because they don't want to know. 2 Peter 3 verse 5 makes this abundantly clear. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, the evidence of creation and the God of creation is found throughout nature. True science tells us the theories of evolution are impossible. Disorder can never bring order. Order, without intelligent direction, always degenerates to disorder. 
This is the second law of thermodynamics, one of the most basic laws of science. The psalmist says that God will laugh at the rebels, not in joy but in scorn, because puny man cannot pull him from his throne or thwart his plans. This may be hard to see in the present world because it seems that evil is winning. If we read just a little farther, we see in verse 9 the reason God allows evil to exist. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us ward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He allows it to give the rebels time to repent because he wants all men to be saved. However, the time will come when his patience will run out. Judgment is coming, of that we can be sure. God will establish Christ's kingdom with its headquarters in Jerusalem in spite of worldwide opposition. It will not be established by a millennial reconstructionists or by charismatic or emerging kingdom builders, but by his almighty power and a rod of iron. In the later part of Psalms 2, the psalmist has warns the ungodly rulers and judges of the consequences of their rebellion, but they won't listen. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The kings and judges are to be instructed by the word of God. They are to serve the Lord with fear. This fear is a fear of offending a holy God. It is a fear that keeps us from straying from God's precepts. They are told to rejoice with trembling. As we rejoice in the Lord, we must remember who He is and tremble before His majesty and power. We rejoice in His grace, but we tremble because of His holy and righteous judgment of all evil. The expression kiss the sun signifies submission to a superior, in this case the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in 1 Samuel 10 verse 1 that it was customary in Bible times for subjects to kiss kings. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? To kiss an idol was a sign of submission to the God represented by the idol. To kiss the son therefore refers to a sinner repenting of his rebellion against God and surrendering to Christ as Lord. This happens when we turn from our dead works, that is our efforts to justify ourselves, and from our sin, and turn to Christ for mercy, trusting fully in his death for our sins, and resurrection for our justifications. This expression is also a sign of compassion. A kiss is a tender thing. It reminds us that salvation in Christ is not a matter of cold religious duty, it is a personal and intimate relationship with the Son of God. Compare this with Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Men are exhorted to submit to the Son of God and put their trust in Him now, while there is still opportunity. If the Son is angry with someone, He will perish. It only takes a little of His wrath to be kindled to put one in danger of hellfire. Hebrews 9 verse 27 warns us that the day is coming when all will stand before the righteous judge, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. The time of our appointment with death is known only to God, but it is as sure as the sun rises that we will all die unless we are caught up in the rapture. 
After our appointment with death, we will all stand before the judgment bar. The saved will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, where they will be judged for how they live their lives after their salvation. The unsaved before the great white throne judgment, where they will learn why they deserve God's judgment and their banishment to the lake of fire. In light of the fact that our time on this earth is limited, and none of us are guaranteed another day of life, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 is extremely important. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee, behold, now is the accepted time, behold, now is the day of salvation. Our eternal destiny is fixed at death. Those who have rejected God and his Son will be forever lost. They will spend all eternity separated from God in the lake of fire, and there is no fire escape by which we and exit. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 remind us that God delights in mercy more than judgment. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. We have already seen that God is long-suffering because he does not want anyone to perish in the lake of fire. However, he has given us the power to choose to follow him or follow the God of this world. When we decide not to believe or trust in Christ for our salvation, Satan, who is the God of this world, blinds our eyes and we cannot see the truth. Only the Holy Spirit can remove this blindness, but he only does so when we truly want to see the truth. Matthew 7, verse 14, is one of the most heartbreaking verses in the Bible. It tells us that not many will find the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It is not because it is hard to find, for even a child can find it. They cannot find it because, as we have seen, people are willingly ignorant of the things of God. They don't want to find it because it will interfere with the way they want to live. They think it if they can say they didn't know, it will excuse them from God's judgment. However, God has made it very clear that he exists, and that one day, we will all give account to him. Listen to what he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All we have to do is look to the heavens to see God. Psalms 19 verse 1 tell us that the heavens show God's glory and his handiwork, that is, his creative power. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. Psalms 50 verse 6 inform us that the heavens declare his righteous nature. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. Psalm 97 verse 6 tell us that by looking to the heavens, all the people see his glory. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. When we see the glory, power, righteousness, and wisdom of God, we learn that all men should serve the Lord in fear and trembling. The evidence of true salvation is a changed life and a new attitude toward God. Salvation is not simply praying the sinner's prayer, it is a life-changing conversion experience. We have seen what we should expect to see in political leadership in the last days. Now, I want to take some time to look at the condition of churches and Christians as we approach the end of this age. The second and third chapters of Revelation contain letters from Christ to the pastors of seven churches. These churches represent types of churches that are found throughout history. 
They also represent seven periods where certain types of churches are the most common. The last of these periods is just before the return of Christ. Let's look at the letter to the last church which represents the majority of churches of our day. It is found in Revelation chapter 3 verses 13-22. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with thyself, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door, and knock, if any man hear my voice, and open the door, I will come into him, and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The first six churches were addressed as the church in or at a specific town. This church is addressed differently. It is addressed to the church of the Laodiceans. Laodicean means the inhabitants of Laodicea, which means it was a church which belonged to the people of the city, not a church that belonged to Christ. It was a church that had put the Lord on the outside and closed the door. We learn that this church was neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. In other words, it was a church that would stand for nothing. This condition starts with a pastor who stops preaching the whole counsel of God. He may preach the truth, just not all of it. He does this out of fear of the people. I'll have more to say about this a little later. It is interesting that there is no mention of doctrinal error, which I think tells us that it was orthodox in doctrine. There are many churches, even Baptist churches, that, when you read their doctrinal statements, seem pretty sound. The problem is, they will not take a stand for the doctrine stated in their statements, nor will they separate from those in error. It was also a rich church. It probably had a nice building and had the money to carry out its ministries and care for the needy. Although it was rich in material things, it was not rich in spiritual matters. It was actually quite poor. This made God spew it out of his mouth. When you don't stand for righteousness, you are in rebellion against God's law just as those who openly oppose his precepts. We live in a time when this passage describes a large portion of churches that claim to be Bible-believing churches. Most of these churches preach good things in their services, and most of their members try to serve God. However, we also live in a time when two major attitudes keep pastors from preaching the whole counsel of God. The first is, keep everything positive, and the second is, don't offend others. Let's take a moment to look at both of these. I don't know how many preachers I have heard apologize when they are about to preach something they consider negative. I don't know when or where this attitude started, but I do know that it was taught at Tennessee Temple, which was a fundamentalist Bible college. Dr. Lee Roberson was the founder and leader of Tennessee Temple and Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He said that he kept the negative away from his people. 
After his departure, both the church and the college departed from the old-time faith. I believe this was because the church members and students were not taught to deal with what they called negative. This means they were not warned of the dangers of compromise. How positive was Jesus when he called people vipers in Matthew chapters 12 and 23? How about John the Baptist when he said the same about the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew chapter 3? We have Paul's admonition to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word be instant in season, out of season reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. This is in one of the pastoral epistles, so it is for all pastors, in all ages. Notice that Paul charged Timothy to reprove and rebuke. Neither of these are considered positive, yet it is a charge before God. Pastors need to remember that according to Hebrews 13, verse 7, they will give account unto God for how they lead their churches. We like to emphasize that the word gospel means good news. To whom is it good news? Is it good news to the atheist who does not believe in God? No. To him, it is foolishness. It isn't until someone understands the negative news that the gospel becomes good news. Most things in this world start with the negative and move to the positive. The same is true with preaching and teaching the word of God. We like to emphasize that God loves the world, and that includes everyone. We use this as an introduction to those try to evangelize. While it is true that God loves everyone, is that the approach used in the scriptures? The answer is no, it is not. The evangelists in scripture always started with the negative, which was the sinfulness of the prospect compared to the holiness of God. The gospel becomes good news when the sinner understands his hopelessness and helplessness before a holy God. It seems that, in the society of our day, the greatest sin a person can commit is to do or say something that offends someone else. This relates to the issue of keeping things positive because if we preach something negative we may offend someone and they may leave the church. I don't need to give more examples to show that this is not the biblical way of doing things. The examples I used to show that Jesus and John were negative were things that offended those who heard them. I must add that when a preacher is deliberately offensive, as some are, it is wrong because we are to speak the truth with love. However, to avoid saying something that needs to be said, just because it is negative, is just as wrong because we are to reprove and rebuke those in error. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 tell us how to deal with other Christians who are in error. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. When another Christian is in error, we are to separate ourselves from him and admonish him. However, we are to do so as with a brother. Our purpose is to shame him and bring him back into the fold. I want to look at one more thing before I close, and that is the attitudes of the people in the last days. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. 
For of this sort are they which creep into houses, and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I dealt with each item listed in this passage last week, and I don't have the time to look at all of them today, so I will just cover those I think are important for today's discussion. People are more selfish today than at any time I can remember. It is all about what's in it for me. They choose a church home based upon how it takes care of their felt needs. They will reject any teaching that interferes with their lifestyle and what they want. Many Christians are blasphemers. They don't blaspheme with their lips, but with their attitude toward the precepts of God. If there is a Bible teaching that they don't want to follow, they will go to great lengths to explain it away. When someone points out what the Bible says, they say we all have the right to our own interpretation, so we will just have to agree to disagree. They are without natural affection. It is natural for a mother to put her children above everything but God and her husband. Today, almost everything else comes before children. Some don't have children because they interfere with their desired lifestyle. If they do have them, the mother gives them over to someone else to raise so they can have their career and have the material things they desire. Many are despisers of those that are good. If someone stands firm on the precepts of scripture, they are called names like holier than thou, goody two shoes, legalistic, and so on. Almost everyone is a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. God is not against us having pleasure if it lines up with the teachings of his word. We should find great pleasure in studying God's word. We should find pleasure in hearing the preaching of scripture. There is great pleasure in fellowship with God's people. There is also pleasure in some of the things of this world, but we must be sure that they don't take us away from God's precepts. If we get pleasure from a ball game, it is fine and proper as long as it does not keep us out of church or cause us to violate some Bible principle. God must come before pleasure. The result of these attitudes is, they are ever learning, and never able to come to the truth. Most of today's Christians are biblically illiterate and ignorant of Bible doctrine. When we don't know what the Bible teaches, we contribute to the rebellion against God's law. We do so because we cannot answer the gainsayers. We also contribute by not separating from those who are in error. Remember the Bible teaches that if we hang around bad people, their badness will rub off on us. This is why so many who call themselves Christians get angry when you tell them that certain kinds of music is bad, or that they shouldn't smoke or drink alcohol, or that a woman's place is in the home, not out working. These are all issues the Bible deals with. A popular statement used by those who violate these principles is, we are not under law, but we are under grace. It is true that we are not under law for salvation, but not for how we live our lives after we are saved. If we are not under the law for the way we live, is murder now okay? How about stealing or adultery? We cannot be saved by keeping the law because we all stand guilty for having broken it. Only God's grace, received by faith and the blood payment of Christ on the cross, can save. Once we are saved, we are expected to live righteous lives. We are to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. When you don't follow God's precepts, you are guilty of rebellion against the law of God. Remember, judgment is coming, and we will all answer to God for what we do with his law. God predicted the state of the world today, but he didn't cause it to be this way, we Christians did. We are not supposed to participate in it. 
The Bible calls us to be a peculiar people, a people that shows the world what it means to be a Christian, the value of living righteous and holy lives. That's about all I have time for, so let me conclude by saying the reason our nation is in so much trouble is, we as Christians aren't too quick to lay aside God's precepts when it suits our purposes. We need to remember that we will not give account to our parents, our teachers, or our pastors. It is our responsibility to know what the scriptures say, and to line up with them in everything we do. I don't know how many times I have said on this broadcast, and elsewhere, it is time we get our theology from the Bible, and not from commentaries and theology books. Matthew Henry, Schofield, and the other commentators may have been great men of God, but they were still imperfect men. The only infallible source we have for our faith and practice is the Bible. Everything and everyone else will let us down. Even radio preachers, like myself, are not perfect. It is your responsibility to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Remember 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, which says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Come back next week for another look at the precepts of God and how they should affect us in our daily lives. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.